Well, as we go through this big world that we live in, as we travel along day by day, we're confronted everywhere and all the time, it seems like, with buildings. There's buildings everywhere. We're going in and out of them, big ones and small ones. Some built well and some not built so well. And they all represent a lot of hard labor and toil and work. If you ever built something, you know. If you've ever built a house or a building, you know. Labor and toil and work and time. But you see, the reality is no matter how much labor and solid work is done on any building, each and every one of them have an expiration date. They're all coming down in the end. Because we live in this broken world cursed by sin and the shadow of death that envelops all of creation and gravity wins in the end, doesn't it? Every major city that you go to is a city of buildings that have been crushed to the ground and built more and built more and crushed to the ground. It's the way of the world, the way of buildings. But not so for those who are in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not so for those who are part of the household of faith. And that's what the author of Hebrews, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is communicating to the people of God. That we're part of God's great household. His building, whose foundations are the Lord's, the rock of ages. And you see, as we're called into Christ and as we grow and live and as we're empowered by the gospel, we are called forth to labor for the Lord. We're called to do good works, to labor on the foundation of Christ, and they'll be blessed as we work, as we build, as we build godly marriages and godly families and godly communities all on Christ. You see, the author of Hebrews has been showing us from the very beginning of this glorious letter that Jesus is all in all our everything. He's done everything necessary for life and peace and salvation. He has created the glorious kingdom of God for his people. All of the Lord. The basic overview of this letter is chapters 1 through 10 is all about the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ and his glorious redemption accomplished and applied for us, his people. And then we hit chapter 11 and we see what it looks like now to be part of the household of faith. All those saints of old looking to Christ, trusting in Christ, the promise of Jesus to come. And now here we are in chapters 12 and 13 and we have the application of how that faith looks before the watching world. How that faith lives out actively and practically before the watching world. And as the faithful are about this glorious work, God is shaking the earth. He's shaking all things. The God of glorious work and power, the eternal Lord, He is shaking all things that can be seen so that we might loosen our grip on those things that we so easily hold to as idols. And that as He shakes the earth, we might be more about the business of taking hold of Christ and the glory of our Savior who is unshakable. That's what we're seeing here. 
And you see such people in Christ, loved by God, in the gospel power, they have work to do individually and in families and in church communities for the Lord. Work to do as we build upon the foundation of Christ and His kingdom. We have to see that this morning. Here in our verses, chapter 13, verses 1 to 6, God's gospel grace that saves and calls and empowers the faithful to build on the foundation of Christ. And how are we to do that? How are we to build on the foundation of Christ? Where here it is, this short, beautiful list of glorious bees. Be doing this, be doing this, be doing this in Christ and on the foundation of Christ. That's what we see. The work that we have to do is God's people. There are six of them here. So let's read God's word. May he write it upon our hearts and lives. Hebrews 13, verses 1 to 6. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper, helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Amen. Thus far the reading of God's word. Well, the first gospel command that we are to be about, to build on the rock of Christ, is to be loving. Imagine that. That's our first gospel command that we must be about. These commands are for us. To be doing not that we would gain salvation, but we are about these gospel commands because we have been saved. And the first one comes very clearly. Be loving. Let brotherly love continue. You know, love is the crowning attribute of the Christian life, isn't it? Love is the crowning attribute. Real love, genuine love from the heart, not fake love. Not shallow love, not surfacey love, but deep, genuine love for one another. We're reminded of the greatest commandment ever given to love the Lord our God with all our hearts and all our souls and all our minds and all our strength and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. This is foundational. To be in Christ is to be one who wears the crown of Christ, which is to love. We must be loving. Why? Because he first loved us. We can love because his love fills our hearts. This is the chief mark of the Christian. Be loving. Love is the essence of our Christian character. Without love, all our spiritual gifts, all of our religious practices are worthless. We must be loving. Love's the ultimate gospel command. We're saved by the love of God. We're sanctified by the love of God. We're empowered by the love of God. To love, we must wear the crown of Christ. We must love one another genuinely from the heart. And it's not merely an emotion. 
It's first and foremost a practical act of love that seeks to serve and care for others. We must be loving. Paul tells the Thessalonians in chapter 4, You yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, Having been purified by the love of God in your souls, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. So the question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is, have we been taught by God to love? Have we been so purified in our hearts by the love of God that we love one another? We must embrace brotherly love and sisterly love genuinely. You know, if you've ever been to a work site where the foundation is completed and it's rock solid and then the framing crew comes in, what do you hear day after day? But the sound of hammers hammering away, hammering away, hammering away, building on the foundation. We don't just love once or twice or when we think about it, but like those hammer falls, we love again and again and again. We must be loving And the only way we can do that is to be filled with grace and to pray, pray, pray. Oh, Lord, help us to be loving, to love those who are hard to love, to love those who are different than us. And you see, love is the power that will overcome divisions and conflicts because it covers a multitude of sins. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So let's be loving. And wear the crown of Christ. Well, the second gospel command that we're to be about, to build on the rock of Christ, is to be generous. Be generous. That's what verses 2 and 3 are all about. They deal with the generosity of our hospitality and the generosity of our prayers. We must be generous. Verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. This is clearly a reference to Abraham and to Lot who received strangers who happened to be on mission from God and they were angels and they opened up their homes to them and they showed them great hospitality. We must show hospitality. We must be generous with our homes and our resources in the ever-expanding concentric circles of our lives as we move out. We must be generous and hospitable towards our known brothers and sisters, even here, here at this church, to open our homes, to show love for those in need. And we must be about the business of showing hospitality to those that we meet along the way and we discover, ah, they're brothers and sisters in Christ, to show hospitality to those who are on mission from God. And a very practical way that we can do this is we can open our home to missionaries as they come through. We meet new people. We find out about the work of the Lord that they're doing and we bless them with generosity. You see, as we're about the gospel labors of being generous and hospitality, we really do show forth a reflection of Christ's love, don't we? When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. We really do show forth the hospitality of God a witness to God's love for us as we do this. We, we see the reflection of God and what he's done for us. He's opened up his home for us, the, the home of heaven, the home of his family. 
So we're to be hospitable to all regardless of their social status or their race or their political party. We must open up our homes in love and bless those generously all around us, especially the household of faith. And you see, the gospel is the motivation and the power to be generous. And this is also to be generous with our prayers. We see this clearly for the persecuted church. For those who are being persecuted and thrown in prison for their faith. Remember the context for this letter. This is happening. People are being persecuted. They're being persecuted economically. They're being persecuted physically for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're being thrown in prison. He says, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. This is clearly talking about believers. And we must be generous with our prayers for the persecuted church. I looked up the data. In 2021, the total U.S. prison population was around 1.2 million people. How sad. A huge number. But do you realize that there are more than 340 million Christians worldwide who experience high levels of persecution day by day, many in fear for their lives, and the Lord only knows how many of them are in prison for their faith. Brothers and sisters, we will never meet these people on this planet, most likely. But we'll meet him in heaven and we must be gripped by God's grace to be generous with our prayers to remember the persecuted. This is so convicting because we go about our lives and we don't even give them a thought. And the author says, pray for them like you would pray for yourself. How would you pray for yourself if you were in jail for your faith? How would you pray for yourself if you were being mistreated For your faith, well, you would pray with great sincerity and boldness. Well, pray like that. And let's practice hospitality. Let's make a plan. Let's be committed. Let's be generous with our prayers, with our time, with our homes. Let's be generous in Christ. Well, that brings us to our third gospel command, that C in the outline, that we're to be about, to build upon the rock of Christ. It's We must be holy. We must be holy. That's what we see in verses 4. You know, if you're in Christ, you're holy. Positionally, you're in Christ. Written upon his heart. He's standing before the Father. The Father sees you in Jesus. And he sees you as holy, perfect, pure in Jesus If that's true of you, then you're also being made more and more holy in the life of sanctification. Verse 4 deals with marriage and the marriage bed and sexual purity, that God judges the immoral. But we have to see the reality of what's taking place here as he's encouraging us and commanding us in the gospel to be holy. You see... This gospel command centering on marriage and sexual purity, it's central to our calling in Christ. But it's also a a summary command for all of life because if marriage is not holy, then nothing is holy. If marriage is not sacred, nothing's sacred. The most basic and important relationship is that between a husband and a wife. It's the building block for family. It's the building block for communities. It's the building block for 
for the world and the fidelity and the unity of the marriage covenant. You see, if you'll not strive for holiness in marriage and in your own body, then nothing else is sacred. And that's the reality of our sinful world. All around us, we see it. Nothing's sacred. Marriage isn't sacred. Children aren't sacred. Sexuality's not sacred. The family's not sacred. Nothing is because the world is profane and broken and hostile towards God. But not so for those who are in Christ. We are to resist immorality with our minds, with our bodies. We must remember the Lord Jesus Christ that he came to us, his broken and wayward people. And he saved us to set us apart as holy in himself. He came to his unfaithful as the faithful one and went all the way to the cross in the glory of his law keeping that we might be made holy in him by his blood, by his righteousness, by his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And by the power of that gospel, we must be holy in our marriages, transformed by the grace of God, in our communities, in our families, In love, we must work and labor and fight to protect our minds from the ever-pressing attack of Satan in this world that we see, this drive, this madness of sexual perversion and hypersexualization of everything all around us all the time. Come on, you see it? So with the Word of God and the Spirit of God and God's family and godly relationships and godly accountability, we will overcome We will be holy. We'll sanctify marriage. So let's pursue faithfulness and sacrificial love. And remember that marriage is one of God's greatest gifts to us. Let's cherish our spouses. Let's cherish the gift. Let's be holy. Well, that brings us to our fourth gospel command. That's D. That we're to be about to build on the rock of Christ is to be content. Be content. That's what we see in verse 5. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have in all things. Doesn't this make sense? Flowing right after the whole call to be holy and to sanctify marriage. Be content with your spouse, with the gift that God has given you and your wife or your husband. But be content in all things. For everything's a gift from the Lord. All that we have is a gift from the Lord. We must resist that temptation to be discontent. The desire, the drive for more money, more possessions at the cost of everything. Because it it leads us to a lack of trust in God who cares for us, who provides for us. We, We must be content. We must find contentment. And the only place that will truly give us fulfillment and contentment, and that's Jesus. The only way that you can truly be content is to be in Christ. Because there's nothing in this created world that can fill your heart and hold you fast and make you content. It takes the eternal one. God, the Son, to fill our hearts, to give us contentment. We see discontentment and dissatisfaction all around us and yet we're choking on blessings you know I think if there was anybody who could be satisfied about their NFL career it would be a man like Tom Brady seven Super Bowls seven Super Bowl rings 
But throughout his career, as he was asked, what's the most important Super Bowl you ever won? What's the most important championship? He would always answer the same way. The next one. The next one. Driven by discontent. Well, when we count our blessings, we grow in gratitude. But when we stop counting our blessings and listen to the world, our hearts grow greedy and restless and we're never satisfied. We're driven more and more. But you see, in Christ we have everything. Everything that we could possibly need. He will give us the riches in Christ Jesus. And contentment fuels our faith and it just builds this glorious armor around our hearts as we grow in contentment. It's like glorious bricks that are laid one by one after another, rows of them, so that we are held up fast. So that like Paul, we can say, I have learned in whatever situation, I am to be content, content in Christ. He wrote that from prison. Imagine. Well, contentment leads to gratitude, greater gratitude, greater worship, less anxiety, less fear. So let's seek to cultivate contentment. Let's pray to the Lord. Let's seek the Lord. Let's count our blessings. Let's cultivate contentment. Let's be content. Well, that brings us to our fifth gospel command, that we're to be about to build on the rock of Christ, and that is to be comforted. Hallelujah! We must be comforted. We need to be comforted daily. And God calls us to come and to be comforted in His glorious promise. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God's promises are unfailing and they're the anchor of our lives. And God's greatest promise, the the fullness of His promise is Jesus. And don't we need to be comforted each and every day so that we can be busy building and laboring? You can't work, you can't labor if you're constantly uncomfortable. You must be comforted. So God says, come and be comforted in me. Be comforted. And this isn't just some kind of theological concept that's out there in the netherworld, but it's a present, ongoing reality. So how are you going to be comforted? How are you going to labor and build a godly life, a godly marriage, and a godly family, and a godly church in the midst of this world in which we live out our faith and our circumstances are difficult? It's grinding at times. I wonder how many times have you heard these words spoken by a friend, maybe even a close Christian friend. You know, I'll always be there for you. I got your back. Only to have them turn their back on you, betray you, leave you. How heartbreaking. But you see, We have to let it hit us. Who is the one that speaks this command to be comforted to us? Who is this one that declares be comforted? It's Jesus. The Son of God. The Son of Man. The one who has conquered sin and death and hell and Satan. The King of the universe is the one speaking to us and says be comforted. Be comforted in my promise I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. This is the God-man who cannot deny himself. He cannot lie. He speaks truth. He's the king over providence. He's sovereign in all of his ways. He can bring true comfort. He says, be 
comforted. You see here the glorious Lord of covenant faithfulness is calling his people to realize the bond and blood that he has entered into to have us. It's sealed. That's what the table preaches to us. His steadfast love endures forever so we can be comforted. He calls to us, the voice of the good shepherd saying, You are mine. I am yours. Your sin can't keep me away. Your your hard heart can't keep me away. Your rebellion can't keep me away. Your backsliding can't keep me away. Be comforted in the fact that I am with you forever. Your Lord, your Savior. You know, this promise really does saturate the entire Bible. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ to his people of faith. It's not spoken to those who do not have faith in Christ. You see, if, if you don't believe in Jesus, if you don't believe in the Christ of the Bible and the Christ of history and the Christ of the covenants and the Christ of the cross and the grave and the resurrection and the ascension, you can't be comforted. He's not speaking to you. But he invites you. Cry out in your heart. Even right now, come Lord Jesus. I need faith to believe. I want to be comforted. That's the only way that you'll have comfort is in Jesus. And you don't have to come perfect and you don't have to come good. You just have to come with your crazy upside down life. Just like all those in chapter 11. They were messed up. And they came to the Lord and they were comforted. You know, we've already heard about Harry Reader and Tim Keller. And they realized the full glory of this promise to be comforted at their death. The moment that Harry was killed in that car accident, he realized the full reality of this promise. Be comforted in the Christ. Never leave you, never forsake you. And, and Tim, with that grinding, horrible cancer, pancreatic cancer, when he closed his eyes in death, he was with the Lord. He knew this promise. Be comforted. We need to hear this. Because so often we think there's no way it can come. I've blown it again. How will the Lord comfort me? He comes to us this morning through his word of promise and the Lord's Supper and says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Rest in me. Be comforted. Friends may fail. Enemies attack. But Jesus will never leave. This is in the emphatic over and over again as we see. Declared five times in this verse, I will never leave you, no, I will never forsake you. No, 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 never. And we need to hear the emphatic because so often in our lives we feel abandoned and low and out of place and forsaken. But hear this, brothers and sisters. God the Father Almighty forsook His Son on the, Christ, on the cross so that you would never be forsaken. The Lord Jesus Christ, He endured your sin on the cross. That eternity of hell on the cross that you would know this promise to be comforted. Don't listen to the world. Don't listen to the flesh. Don't listen to the devil. Listen to Jesus. Be comforted. Well, that brings us to our final thought as we come to the table. 
That sixth and final gospel command that we are to be about to build upon the rock is this. Be courageous. Hallelujah. Be courageous. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Be courageous. Be courageous in Christ because you have the gift of faith in Messiah who's the rock of ages. He's the Lord enthroned upon Zion for you. He's overcome all of your enemies and his enemies. Be courageous. We're reminded here not to be fearful, not to be discouraged because the Lord is our help. The God who's created the entire universe is the one that comes to us and says stand firm. I'll give you all that you need. You can live a life of courage and confidence, trusting in me, even in the midst of the uncertain and difficult days that we're in. Here the author of Hebrews is quoting from Psalm 118. Let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and He set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. You see, brothers and sisters, as objects of God's grace in Christ, we can make that bold confession. Jesus, the conqueror, the lover of my heart and soul and my life, If I fear the Lord, I need not fear anything in all the universe. I love what John Knox used to say fearlessly. He said, a man with God is always in the majority. Hallelujah. God can't be voted off the island. He is always the king. And we can be confident in him and have great courage as we live this life together, building upon the rock of our salvation. Through the gift of faith, building godly marriages and families and a godly church. And so we come to the feast. And doesn't the Lord's Supper preach all this to us? All these bees, all these gospel commands. Doesn't it? I mean, is there any greater table of love? The love feast right here laid out, set by Jesus himself. Bread and the fruit of the vine, broken body, poured out blood, that we might have forgiveness and life. He loves us so much. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Here it is. Preach to you. So be loving as you feast in this love. And isn't this table the greatest expression of generosity in all the world? The Lord Almighty opens up. His home, his family, his kingdom come unto me. All who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Come into my home. I'll give you all good things. Doesn't this preach that truth? Doesn't it preach the reality of God's generosity towards us and his prayers? Jesus ever lives to intercede for us. He's praying for us right now. It's generous. Doesn't this table preach holiness? That we've been saved and sanctified in our holy Savior? What a glorious truth. We were washed, we were cleansed. 
our sins removed as far as the east is from the west, that we might stand in freedom and peace with God the Father, holy in Christ. What a glorious truth. And as we meditate upon that and eat and drink with the Lord by faith, we grow in contentment. He gives us everything we need. The supper is so rich, so wonderful, and we can know comfort. We all come with broken hearts in so many different ways. The hardships of life, the grinding reality of what it means to live by faith in this broken, sinful, hostile world, and we need to be comforted, and here we are. And as we eat and drink, we will grow more and more courageous to live for the Lord. Well, let's remember, brothers and sisters, that this table is the Lord's table. It's not Carriage Lane's table. It's his gift to us, the sacrament of the new covenant through the shedding of his blood, his broken body, whereby we know life and peace and salvation. So if you are a member in good standing, a baptized member in good standing of any evangelical Bible-believing church, this is for you as you come in faith to eat, to drink, to fellowship, to know comfort, to know courage, to have your faith strengthened. But if you don't have faith, you need to realize that this table comes with warnings. This sacrament is a sealing sign and a a sign that seals. And for those with faith, it seals ever deeper into our hearts the promise of Christ. But if you have no faith, then you seal judgment. You eat judgment. You drink judgment. So don't do that. But consider your need. You need Christ. And you don't have them. And as the plates go by, let that remind you, you're outside the fellowship. You need to be inside. Pray to the Lord. Receive the Lord. And for the young ones, remembers by way of covenant family and not yet by way of profession of faith, look in your hearts. Let the elements go by and ask yourself the question, do I have faith in Christ? Do I long for Him? Do I... Trust in him as the one who has forgiven me of my sins and given me life. And talk to your parents. Talk to your elder. It's time to make the good confession. Come to the table. Participate in the joys of the supper. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Almighty, we thank you so much for your gospel love, which you pour out upon us so richly through the gift of Christ our Savior. Father, our hearts are bursting with thanksgiving. We thank you for love. We thank you for salvation. And we thank you that these common elements that you have set apart, Lord Jesus, that you have consecrated and made holy, they are for our good. As we eat and drink, they cause your word of promise to come alive physically and tangibly to our senses. So remind us, O Lord, through the broken bread and the poured out fruit of the vine that we really and truly do have a Savior who loves us and whoever lives to make intercession for us from the right hand of God the Father Almighty with all power and authority. Build us up in love that we might be about doing the good work as your people. May this sacrament help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. On the night that our Lord and Savior was betrayed while he was in the upper room, during supper he took bread and having broke it, 
Having blessed it and broke it, he said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Elders, 